Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Equity futures under pressure all morning as the street continues to sour on mega cap tech. But some improvement just now as Q3 core PCE comes in a touch light at 2.4, even with GDP at a whopping 4.9. Our roadmap's going to begin with the tech wreck, including Meta, shares under pressure as guidance overshadows this quarterly beat. Also ahead, the UAW and Ford reach a tentative agreement nearly six weeks after the union began that walkout against Detroit's big three. Plus, Morgan Stanley says it's got its new future leader. Don't miss the first on CNBC interview with incoming CEO Ted Pick and current chief executive James Gorman. That will be in the next hour of Squawk on the Street. Let's begin with the Nasdaq, which is set to fall deeper into correction territory. The NDX coming off its worst day of the year, Jim, uh, now down uh, 11 from uh, the July highs. Yeah, it looks like the mega caps are catching up to the decline of everything else. And uh, I think there's this kind of overwhelming sense that they all went too far, uh, that they all got overvalued. Now, I do not share that. Uh, and we, we're going to get to Meta. But these are not ultra expensive stocks. There are a couple of turns uh, uh, in PE, meaning that they're just slightly expensive than the rest of the stocks. But David, they've become major sources of fun. And I think that it's far more correlated with the bond market than with the actual earnings. Uh, yes, Google did not tell a good story, but it wasn't like they missed bid. No. Meta, other than a few lines that were about meaningful spending, meaningful hiring, and then also obviously difficult to advertise during when you have a war, uh, it was quite good. Now, the stock is down. Uh, literally 20 points from where it was after they first reported. But I'm just trying to present that these are more of a function of a revulsion of companies that have gotten too big and bonds. And today we have a bond market that's tame, but people use these to sell and they don't even bother to listen other than a snippet. I, you know, I, uh, I'm hearing the same from, uh, from any number of other market participants this morning, kind of almost saying it's a market thing. It's not a meta thing. I'm so glad. Because so meta, to your point, Jim, and again, the, I did speak to, I'd say, three people who own the stock and right. have for some time. But their basic contention is that was a great quarter. Was Everything great quarter. was l- largely positive. You did scare some people because of the commentary around the ad market, as Jim just said. You gave them a wide range, uh, which perhaps also sort of, uh, again, in terms of where things may end up for guidance. Um, I'm told, by the way, in the callbacks, you know, after an analyst, after the call, typically then they'll call around and they'll sort of call back to some accounts and the like. And they kind of said things are already turning a bit, not dissimilar from what we heard from Snap in terms of saying there was a dislocation a bit during the beginning of the war, but maybe things are coming back a bit. Operating margins, amazing. Oh, geez. Um, uh, you know, the, the discipline still, or the belief they had the discipline and spending still in place, and that if revenues were to sort, start to moderate, they would actually be more disciplined again, Jim. Right. Seems to be an overriding That's factor. So a different day to your point, and I think many people would say, granted they own the stock, that this stock would be higher, not lower. Right. And I don't think the CFO meant to panic anyone when she was just stating what she saw. Which is that, I mean, I remember when I was running the street.com and the war broke out in Iraq and suddenly our sales plummeted, our advertising plummeted. I was like, why is that? Market's okay. Well, idiot, don't you see people don't advertise when there's a war? Right. This is the CFO, Susan Lee, talking last night about the potential volatility. Coming into Q4, 
We've been seeing continued strong advertiser demand in key segments, including online commerce and gaming. But having said that, we are also seeing more volatility at the start of the quarter. That's in part why we widened our guidance range to capture that uncertainty. And so, for instance, while we don't have material direct revenue exposure to Israel in the Middle East, we have observed softer ad spend in the beginning of the fourth quarter, correlating with the start of the conflict, which is captured in our Q4 revenue outlook. Uh, Jim, I think it was uh, Roth this morning that said investors were hoping to unlock an algorithm that could provide a pathway to $20 next year. Uh, some argue that they didn't get the incremental evidence that that would happen. Well, look, I, there's a moment in the conference call <clears throat> where you have to say, am I dreaming or did Mark Zuckerberg, one of the hardest-nosed business people now in the world, is saying that AI glasses, particularly Ray-Ban glasses, could meaningfully be terrific, and they have the ability to deliver AI through smart glasses that may end up being a killer use case. Now, Carl, if that's true, then I can unlock anything I want, because that's incredible. I think the skepticism comes from those of us who got burned by Google and Google Glasses, yeah. which, I mean, I went and I looked like I said, what am I doing with these? But this, this Mark Zuckerberg, he tends to want to know things, knows things that we want, Look at Reels. Reels is so good, he doesn't even have to break it out. Well, it's now net, net neutral revenue. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm saying, and I know, David, obviously, when you throw a lot of money away in Reality Labs, yeah. that we're making a bet, if you like this stock, that Zuckerberg hasn't lost his touch. It, 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 listen, I, I've got people who think 18 is going to be the low number for EPS next year and that they could I, hit the I, $20 I saying, number. I was saying they could hit the 20 And if and you back into that number, Carl, I mean, we can all do simple math. You're talking about a 15 what? multiple. Was it a steel mill? Yeah, um, which, given that top-line growth rate, would seem to be, again, compelling. That said, market today is taking over, uh, well, and there are concerns about the ad market going into next year, I guess, or in this fourth quarter. Um, but... And we'll see. By the way, right. we got Amazon. You know, there's a hope. Maybe hey. Amazon will turn it. <laughs> hey, how about Apple? If, how about we, get, if we get AWS <laughs> revenue growth above 11%. By the way, Meta did come in below the $100 billion operating operating expense number that many said was the, if they come in below that, it's a, it's a really good quarter. Amazon, they're looking for at least 11% revenue growth at AWS. The hope is they'll come in somewhere around 12, 12 and a half. That should be a positive. But the ad market's important for Amazon, too. Two, right. So we may get another, yet another sort of read on that. But, you know, it's funny. Can I just analogize completely away from this, just so people don't get caught up and think it's, we're just talking about tech? I'm very close to MasterCard, which is a really great company. Yeah. And our executive producer, Todd Bowen, was in my office when we were going over things. And... Out of nowhere, uh, they report, and the number looks great. And I said, but told it, the revenues look flat. Uh, flat with what people are looking for. Oh, not I was going to say, cross-border MasterCard's up 21. And I just said, oh, throw that thing away. I found that, Nick. You know, David, I mean, we'll probably talk about the parent company of our network. And I, I, you I, know, I, I think we're going to actually have to talk now about the parent company of our Why? network. Why? Are you leaving? Because the stock is down a lot. Oh, no, that's, don't take it so personally. It's not I your fault. It isn't? It isn't my fault. We're talking about Comcast. Um, comments on the conference call are uh, shellacking the stock. You know, they came the quarter itself showed a loss of 18,000 uh, domestic broadband subs. Uh, investors have been looking for gains, small gains, but gains nonetheless. And so that worried people. In fact, my 
expectation coming in was when we talked about it, I would mention the 18,000 loss. But on the call, I've been beaten to it. Jason Armstrong, the uh, CFO of Comcast, again, our parent company, said the following. The broadband market remains highly competitive, particularly at the lower end. Uh, as we continue to manage this balance, we expect ARPU growth to remain strong and our primary driver or broadband revenue growth with somewhat higher subscriber losses expected in the fourth quarter compared to the 18,000 loss we just reported in the quarter. That, uh, that's not helping things. You see Comcast down 7%. Haven't taken a look at Charter, but I would assume that is also getting hit this morning. How does, again that, on how does that do versus... What's going on at the lower end on broadband? I wish but I could Verizon, tell you guys right off the bat. What did you think about Verizon? Maybe. Then. I mean, you had... Yeah. Got, I mean, fixed bad. wireless has a capacity limit. You know, they can only do so right. much. Right. And then they're done. But Verizon added. T-Mobile added. Right. Um, maybe it is having an impact. And yet I always thought that if Peacock losses would somehow peak and you would have some pretty good numbers, at Kavanaugh, the president... The, the Peacock numbers seem that they weren't going to come in as, as bad as I thought. I thought that would mean Revenue up 64. Right. Well, look, I know where people think, okay, great. You know, why don't you talk about how much your house is worth? You talk about Comcast. But it is a, a big issue because Verizon, you know, I'm saying it's personal. We own Comcast. But Verizon did seem to be better. Well, there's um, a lot of incremental. I mean, we can, we can stay on Comcast, but, Jim, uh, Brunswick uh, boat sales uh, down. Polaris well, this week, I'll sales see you down four. can take Royal Caribbean, though. Harley, what, what about, uh, bike sales down nine. But, but and UPS uh, we'd rather experience it. We'd rather experience it than we would pay for it. Brunswick's back to the way we used to think. Brunswick, there was a period where we thought that Brunswick was secular growth because people had discovered the outdoors. You know, David, the outdoors? Mm. Eh. Okay. <laughs> really? You're just, you're, I like, you're just okay? It's okay. It's still a lot of bugs and stuff. There's DC. Yeah. I mean, it's outdoors. It's no good. But if it's cooking at home, McCormick, that was the best, the best performing food stock. Or right. maybe you could say, well, listen, it doesn't have that much taste other than spice, so therefore it doesn't add weight, so therefore it's not a function of, G, of the uh, GLP of But then Hershey reported good. When are they? There's going to be. There's there's got to be a moment this morning where Hershey people just say, yeah, sure, it's great now, and it's oh, they're already doing it. Yeah, Hershey Organic up 9.8. Actually got a little volume. You don't sell Hershey before, b- before before Halloween? They did say consumers are starting to buy candy closer to Halloween. Oh, it's a, and uh, they're optimizing at candy now? Optimizing spend. David, it's Halloween. I know. I've been eating all the Halloween candy already. Well, you're going you're gonna to need braces. Not good. Oops, not I'm not going to need braces. A line. I might need some. No, I'm saying a line was hat. bad oh, because people are, turns out people no longer care about whether their teeth are straight. Apparently people still drinking some soda, maybe because it was hot. Carrot Dr. Pepper, not bad. There you go. Not a bad quarter. There you go. Right? Thank I mean, you for Really that. hot summer, maybe people drink more. Well, we can be kind of scattered here. Carrier Global, I think, had a nice... Uh, I yes. like Carrier. We'll All get right. to a lot of those names. Got to get to autos, though, this morning, as Ford and the UAW do reach this tentative deal to end the labor strike after six weeks. Our Phil LeBeau joins us this morning with the latest. Hey, Phil. Hey, Carl, let's give you the numbers behind the pay increases that the UAW members will be receiving if they finalize this contract. That ratification vote likely going to happen next week, maybe a little bit longer. But it basically comes down to this. 11% pay hike immediately once the contract is ratified. 25% over the life of the contract, adding cost of a living. It'll be over 30% over the life of the contract. And get this. 
starting base pay for a full-time worker who is hired, it's gone up 64%. So they used to be brought in at $17 an hour. Now they're going to be bringing them in at $28 an hour. Here's something you don't see anymore. The picketing has stopped. This is video from uh, what we've seen over the last 40 days outside of Ford plants. Workers picketing, that is stopped. And the workers, by the way, will be going back on the job soon. Some actually are going in now, but the ramp up for production at the three plants that have been shut down, that's going to be more gradual. Ford is working with the UAW in terms of getting everything up to speed there. A couple other things to keep in mind. As you take a look at shares of Ford, this strike, the estimate is that it cost them $1.9 billion. We will get a more definitive number likely this afternoon. That's when Ford reports its Q3 results. Uh, there's going to be a strong profit for the third quarter, but I suspect that most of the questions on the analyst call will be with regard to the UAW contract. And what does this mean for the future for Ford in terms of EV investments and how Jim Farley sees the company being positioned for future investments? Also take a look at shares of Ford versus GM and Stellantis. Yes, the strikes continue at GM and Stellantis. But one interesting note today uh, came out from RBC Capital talking about the impact of this Ford deal. They said, we expect a brief relief rally. I think we might be seeing a little bit of that already today with Ford. And by a brief, guys, you're looking at maybe a 5% pop. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, Phil, we talked about the market. What about Stellantis and, uh, and GM? What do we think? How close? Well, there's definitely progress being made there. Look, anytime you take out the two largest and most profitable uh, plants for those guys, with GM, it's, it's down here in Texas, the Arlington plant, where they big, build big SUVs. And for Stellantis, it's up in the Detroit area, where they build the Ram 1500. Oh, that got their attention. And I think, ultimately, we see GM next, and then we see Stellantis. Time frame, David, your guess is as good as mine. There's no doubt that those two strikes that were initiated this week definitely has gotten the attention. It got the attention of Ford. That's one reason why Ford was quick to resolve this before they reported their earnings today. They didn't want to come out and say, eh, we're making X billion dollars, knowing what happened after GM's report earlier this week. So let me posit a, a different tone uh, versus the one-off uh, analyst you just mentioned. I thought this thing was going to be scorched earth. I thought that fame was going to go for 30, 35, move the goalposts. When I saw this 25, I said, I said to myself, boy, I wish Farley would just drill it get this thing passed. The next thing I want to know, will, will Farley pivot, recognize what Toyota is saying, and go all in hybrid and make us want to own this stock because then we won't lose so much in EV? And yes, my travel trust is on it. He, he already has gone very heavy into hybrids. He made that announcement a couple quarters ago, and you're already seeing that at Ford, that they are pivoting that way, Jim. Having said that, you are not going to see Ford, GM, and Stellantis give up the ghost when it comes to electric vehicles. Will they scale back their investment, maybe be a little more judicious? Jim Farley's already said they're going to do that. Right. Mary right. Barra said that earlier this week. So I think that's what we're going to see more of, Carl. Uh, Phil, we're going to talk to you in a bit uh, with Southwest uh, Chief Bob Jordan. Those shares are going yep. to open near a nine-year yeah. low uh, this morning on yeah. this capacity. I did like the Ford. I mean, I think it could be a win-win, but maybe I'm too bullish. Okay. <laughs> uh, Phil, see you in a bit. After the break, ServiceNow's Bill McDermott's with us live at Post 9. Going to break down the latest quarter. Stock's getting a lift from some strong sales guidance and the outlook. Take a look at the pre-market. We will get to Tractor Supply, Morgan Stanley, IBM, Honeywell, Royal Caribbean, Hertz in a minute. 
Sometimes it's good to have unmitigated positive numbers. We can see what the stock market looks like when it's like the old days. And we've got ServiceNow right now who crushed it last night. Just crushed it on every single element. And we have Bill McDermott in person, which is a delight. He's the chairman and CEO. And Bill, I'm going to take right from the comms call because I think it was the most important line of the call. AI, it isn't a hype cycle. It is a generational movement. And it is giving you multiple 10 million dollar contracts. Why is that? Well, Jim, a couple of things about ServiceNow that a lot of people don't know. This right now is a company operating at the rule of 55. So when you take the revenue growth and the free cash flow margin operating at the rule of 55, and it's the first company of all time in enterprise software to be on the doorstep of 10 billion in revenue at this point in our history, fastest growing ever. So what's happened is digital transformation has really turned into business transformation. How do companies deflect the pressure from their people using digital technology? How do companies avoid having employees swivel chair between 13 applications on average a day, burning up 33% of their productivity? And now how do companies take generative AI to completely rethink the game in terms of their business processes and that they're doing all on one platform with ServiceNow with one user experience that is consumer grade. So, Jim, you'll love this. We went live on a pricing skew for generative AI on September 30th, which means we had one day to sell it in the quarter. We had multiple deals of multiple millions of dollars. That was because of Vancouver and because you you finally have done what I really wanted, which offered the, the finest security proposal. Therefore, federal contracts love that. Exactly. And the Air Force being one I want you to talk about. The United States Air Force is the third largest deal we've ever done at ServiceNow. It was a phenomenal example of using one platform with one user experience to completely reinvent the way in which the U.S. Air Force goes about their business. But you know, Jim, you're a big fan of NVIDIA, and I do want to give well, NVIDIA... You, you give major props, to you, and you went Jensen. You used the first name, kind of like Yoda. Jensen is a great friend of mine and ServiceNow. But you know, it's super cool, Jim. We're building large language models from the GPU up through the NVIDIA stack to fine-tune large language models on the ServiceNow platform at mass scale. And NVIDIA is also a customer of ServiceNow's that's adopted our platform as the new standard for this generation. So we're pretty proud of great companies like FedEx, NVIDIA, the United States Air Force, and so many more that understand that business transformation management is what every great CEO needs to be doing, and they're doing it. What is that? Can you explain to people what you just said, what that actually means, Bill? You know, in terms of building the stack for generative AI, because you're not thought of, I mean, in terms of spending, you know, you're not spending the money that that Meta or Alphabet or Microsoft right. are in terms of lar- large language models, which or require Google. enormous amounts of computing. I said yes. Alphabet. No, uh, I know. <laughs> uh, 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 computing power. So what, what are you doing? Right on. We are doing domain-specific generative AI built into the ServiceNow platform. So what's different about us is we require far less compute power than those large companies you just mentioned to execute for customers across of our platform. And every single thing in our platform is now energized by generative AI. And that includes how do you manage your assets, how do you run your operations, how do you run risk, security, governance, compliance, 
how do you give your employees a great experience? FedEx, 500,000 employees going on one employee portal to give them a great experience. Customer experience. How do customers self-serve? Why should they wait for a call center agent? Why can't they do it themselves in a digital engagement where the front office, mid office, and back office talk to each other? Hey, Jim, I got another one for you. David, you're going to love this. We're going to run out of time, though. Got one for you. Engineers. Engineers now text-to-code, text-to-app development, completely reinvent engineering processes. In New York, the banks you have here, they have thousands of engineers. We're going to transform the way engineers go about their business each and every day. Viewers may not remember, you moved the whole software market earlier in the year with your comments about macro and elongated sales cycles. Yeah. Um, is there any echo of that? Are you seeing any echo of that right now? What I said in the second quarter of 2022, which is exactly what you're referring to, Carl, when the Ukrainian war broke out, I said that there will be challenges at the global macro level, and that was correct. And I was the first one to claim that, right. and the market reacted. That. And that was on your show, Jim. And the market reacted. And then the truth teller, as it may be, reinvented the way we create value for our customers, truncated the sales cycles, and made sure that value creation, return on invested capital, taking cost out, improving productivity, became the calling card of service now. And that's why we've run with this market as the fastest growing one in the enterprise but software to, But industry. to Carl's point, Bill, you have a read on spend overall. Yes. Uh, and we've gotten some mixed reports lately from some of the big tech companies. What are you seeing on the ground? The CEOs are very concerned about the macro. There's no question you got a couple of wars out now. You got high inflation, high interest rates, and the hangover from COVID. So. They need to digitally transform their companies, take cost out, improve productivity. And frankly, they need to buy into generative AI because if they don't and their competitors do, their business models will but, be but, superseded but, 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 by someone they're else. They're all talking about optimizing spend except for your customers. Now, how does that happen? Our customers wouldn't spend if they didn't get a great return on their investment. They'll spend a dollar if they can get 10 in return. With the ServiceNow super platform for digital transformation, you get an ROI that's uncommonly good. Well, I've got to tell you, you're a godsend on a day like today. <laughs> Maybe you can turn it like you turn it down when you're on man money. Maybe turn it up. Jim, now. Jim, you have to want it more. We want it more. Well, that's the, what's the rule of 55? Oh, come on. That's that is revenue growth plus free cash flow margin. And, David, they say you're a great company if you're operating at the rule of 40. Right. There is only one company in the software industry, ServiceNow. And I I know the name of that company. He beat Salesforce to 10 billion. Tells you. Thank you. Generative AI says now. Now. They're they're giving me the hook. And I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you. And please come on personally every time. I love being here with you guys. You know that. Thank you for having me. Don't be a stranger. Thank you. Opening bell coming up in about four and a half minutes. All right, let's get a mad dash in, and then uh, we got an opening bell in a minute and a half. Adobe. Yeah, I want to keep this in the family of what we just heard from Bill McDermott's service now. People are saying, Generative AI, show me someone who's actually making money. Well, now we have three. We have ServiceNow, clearly. Microsoft, without a doubt, with Copilot. And then in this Opco noted, crystallizes everything I've been saying about Adobe, which is that this is still number one for the small business person and for the individual. If you want to know how to incorporate generative AI in a way that makes it so that you literally become every big as any business because your your nameplate is so good, Adobe. So these are three companies other than NVIDIA that are not part of the hype cycle. 
David, you could someone might say that IBM also delivered. They had a good, they had pretty good gender bay numbers and they, they kept their free cash flow up, which was excellent. But I just think that we got to go Adobe, ServiceNow, Microsoft, NVIDIA. David, I'm working on a Magnificent Seven now that they went down. The only ones left is Jill Brenner and Steve McQueen. And remember Fang, that's got completely. So we're working on a new, right, I'm generative AI. What we got? N, right? We got, uh, we might have Amazon, we don't know. We'll see. We have M, man, man up. I'm working on it. Keep working on it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Let's get the opening bell here. And the CNBC Real Time Exchange at the big board, Bitwise Asset Management, celebrating the launch of three ETFs. At the NASDAQ, Hanaryu, a Korean based social media platform. Uh, Jim, I guess in the line of social media, we'll keep our eye on Meta today. Absolutely. I think that Meta, yeah, look, I, I put my cards on the table. And, uh, it was a great quarter. And uh, yes, there is going to be, uh, there are going to be people who say, you know what, it's not right to advertise when there's such bloodshed. But they also say when it runs its course, which wars do, we have to go back and advertise. And we're going to advertise with Meta. With Amazon Web Services, I want to call attention to a company that is small but is doing a good job. Carrier by Dave Gitlin. This is a company that is uh, HVAC. It's doing a very good job. And heat pumps now in and Europe, come, right? Yes. And yeah. He made a big acquisition, and we got a lot of sales, a lot of downgrades to sales. Well, you know what? Gitlin says it's doing pretty well. And watch this one just from the tenor of we've had so many easy shorts. It's been great to be a short seller. Watch Carrier as a litmus test for whether the shorts are overly shorted and pressing their bets too great. Yeah. Um, Bernstein with a great note today. We got about a third of the S&P earnings are in, uh, up about 11. But if you take out the Magnificent Seven, down nine. Yeah. I mean, and now we decided that Magnificent Seven should be valued the way all those downers are. Uh, David said something yesterday that stuck with me. When you look at the companies that we're talking about, whether it be Meta, whether it be Alphabet, billions and billions as opposed to hundreds of millions, right? So you just kind of, we, I, maybe you can, you can help me on this. We, sometimes we can't grasp the magnitude of a company making $30 billion a quarter. It's the number, I do, I, I know our, our, our viewers may get tired of me saying it, but I still, no, you know, having started many years ago, as we all have at this point, the numbers themselves are just staggering. Wait, so 40 billion in a year on CapEx at Alphabet or at Microsoft, 30 to 35 billion at Meta. Not to mention, obviously, the profitability of these businesses, the revenue, the free cash flow generation. It's just astounding. Astounding. The numbers yes, themselves. Yes, astounding. And, you know, what, just taken separately from the performance and whether or not it's meeting the performance, obviously, that, that it is hoped for, the numbers themselves, the size of these companies is simply staggering. Right, it's the size. And I think that it's very hard to grasp. And uh, Jeff Marks put out a great note. He works with me for the club on Meta. I mean, this company was not doing nearly as well last year as it's doing this year. I mean, that's rather amazing. And yet, it's a seven, 17 times earnings. You know, that's kind of attractive. If they I mean, do the 18, not to mention some bulls believe as much as 20 next year, you can back into a multiple, you can do the math. It's right. less than 15 times, 16 times, even if they come in at 18, let's well, say. Well, so, yeah, that would be cheap. That said, there's always a concern that he's going to 
just spend too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but you know, Meta generated more than 13. This is quoting Jeff Jeff Morris. Meta generated more than 13 billion dollars with the free cash flow in the quarter, bringing its total through the first three quarters to 31.5 billion in free, in free cash, cash flow. flow. For all of 2022, they generated 18.4 percent. Right. Well, that's I mean, what you get when you got the kind of margins they're now putting up. Operating yes. margins. Oh God, highest in a couple of years, right? Right. So yes, but then again, they've had a you know look, they are meaningfully employing, increasing their headcount, meaningfully spending on the part of the company that people don't understand. Does he have something that we, like if we put the Ray-Bans on and we're, I don't know, we're at the, what, a baseball game or the World Series, would I be able to say, okay, like when did we last have, what did Ted Williams back the year before and then when he came back three years after the war? Would it be like listening to me and give me the answer? Would it also have an ad for like, you know, I don't know, the Red Sox? I, I, we need to, look, we need to see it. He's seen it. I was in his metaverse versus Apple's metaverse. I, Apple's got better zip code. Either way, you don't think it's a, a, a revamp of Google Glass. You don't think it's going to be I, like that. I think he's too smart. I can't. I just can't do that. I have to just trust him. And maybe we're so short on supply for trust right now that. Uh, but if Amazon says Jassy does it a great number, and we had great numbers from Microsoft, maybe someone will say, you know what, I'm I'm willing to take, willing to bet that it might work. You know, Apple. I'm buying it. Oh shoot. It's my wife's birthday. I don't want to mention what I'm buying. But, you know, it's like I'm on the phone to some virtual assistant last night, Chris, who was just dynamite, right? Because you have to have an appointment now to get stuff. And I'm conscious of the fact, when I look at Apple's numbers, I mean, they, what do they have to do? Okay, well, they need, they need the phone to show growth. But the amount of money they make and they add, they raise the price of their subscription, no one's going to not take it. No, the service revenue is is enormous and it's recurring and it gets a higher multiple but that's all baked in already isn't it it, it is baked in and that's why i told people to own it don't trade it but i'm not telling people listen out buy apple I, I just like it it's a great it's the best american it's the best company in the world so i, I can't tell you you know what carl I'd, I'd much rather you be in uh I, you know what this is the time to be in bristol myers don't be in the best company oh, in the world. We, we didn't get to the Revlimid uh, guidance no, today. Oh, yeah. geez, Bristol Myers is very disappointing, and I really have to change. You know, the price of these multiple Bristol Myers is shrinking rather rapidly. Yeah, well, as is the stock price. Look at that. It's back to wow. It's back to stark contrast to the Eli Lillys of the world, or really just the Eli Lilly of the world. I took a picture yesterday of of Hostess Twinkies. I'm going to post that with Novo. Um, You know, the Hostess Twinkie. I don't know. You buy a thing of donuts, you only want one donut, right? How about you want to do MS uh, Ted Pick? Uh, no, <laughs> Carl. What? I'm going to deny your request, and I'm going to do Endeavor. Are you going to let me pick or do pick? No, I'm not going to talk about Ted Pick. You're handing pick to picker. They'll be, they'll be talking to picker later. Bush Leslie pick. Picker will be interviewing uh, James Gorman and incoming CEO of Morgan Stanley, as Carl referenced Ted Pick. But let's talk Endeavor, guys, because the stock is up 18% put that in perspective, it's probably only back up to where it was not that long ago. Endeavor, remember, of course, uh, most recently in the news because of the uh, merger of its UFC with WWE, creating TKO, of which they control it. Um, Go back to the IPO back in April of 21, I believe it was, and you can see it has not uh, not been a good performer, and that's including the move up today. 
And that's frustrated Ari Emanuel, uh, who runs the company, perhaps Mark Shapiro as well, and maybe even Silver Lake, its largest holder, and the company that controls Endeavor with 71% of the vote. So late yesterday, we got this. Uh, from Emmanuel. Given the continued dislocation between our public market value and the intrinsic value of our underlying assets, we believe an evaluation of strategic alternatives is prudent to ensure maximizing value. So what does that mean? Well, it means, all right, we might consider selling the company. Of course, there's only one buyer because Silver Lake has made it clear we're not selling to anybody but us meaning they might buy in what they don't already own. Silver Lake firmly believes in Endeavor's business, is not interested in selling its shares in Endeavor to a third party nor in entertaining bids for assets that are part of Endeavor. What Silver Lake is interested in doing, as by the way they have done previously in both Dell and Qualtrics, is making a bid potentially to buy, to buy the company and take it private. What will that look like? Will it happen? How do you make sure that's fair to minority shareholders? Of course, you'll have a special committee. By the way, banks haven't been hired as yet, is my understanding. Musi Gondurban, who runs Silver Lake, co-CEO. Um, and again, they've done this before. The question is, do they come with a number that Endeavor and its special committee could be happy with? Does that have a three in front of it, as many hope it would or expect it would at least? And having spoken to some other large holders who are not Ari at 6% and are not Silver Lake, I can tell you their basic contention is you take the stake in TKO, you look at what Pinot is paying for CAA at $7 billion. They have a bigger agent business. What's that worth? On location, they say, is worth a billion. The studio's business they have worth perhaps as much, uh, as, much as 10 bucks a share. They can go on and on and tell you why this thing is very much undervalued. They will also, however, tell you, Jim, although you guys, you know, I know you can't say too much, but that they haven't communicated very well with the street at Endeavor, that they've sent mixed messages. Remember, the last time was when the stock went down sharply after they signed that TV deal, the rights deal for part of the WWE, the raw deal still to come, but that seemed to disappoint. So maybe the communication from the company has not been the greatest. Um, not really going to be anything there for the PGA, by the way. But we'll watch this closely. If it is a buyer, it's going to be Silver Lake. The question is price. And I am told if it does happen, a deal could be reached before year end. We'll see. And now we can talk about Ted Pick. Well, you know, I, I did want to mention in terms of communication, there's an upgrade today of Live Nation, which communicates its story incredibly well. And I was going to go out, Carl, on this GDP analysis, and I'm going to put it out there so that people understand. Two words, Taylor and Swift. <laughs> it's experiential. She made a fortune. We all rejoiced. Football's back. Travis Kelsey. I mean, this is kind of the experience. How did it happen? That's a metaphor. I mean, when the, when the nation is going nuts for entertainment, whether it be Royal Caribbean or whether it be casinos because the Vegas numbers are up, whether it be Taylor Swift, you see that it hasn't cooled down yet. I want hats off to, uh, by the way, to our Fed chief, Jay Powell, who had he started cutting rates and we got this GDP number, would have been, would have been regarded as a fool. Uh, okay. There's a lot of discussion this morning about if you just took the headline, Fed's got to do more. But that core PCE number thinks maybe they can't afford to stay stand pat at least this month. I think you month. can. And then we have these auctions coming up. In the, you know, in the 90s, we used to follow the bond auctions and how they do, how they do, how they do. We're back. 
I mean, there was a five-year yesterday. It wasn't so high. It was seven-year. That's what people have to start watching. I'm trying to teach that on Mad Money, that things that you never, that you haven't cared about in years. Like, how'd that auction go? Rick Sant, tell her we're going to have to uh, get these numbers because if the auctions go badly, like happened yesterday at 2 o'clock, that's when you had the breakdown, and not until then. Yeah. Uh, we'll look for that today. Meantime, we mentioned Southwest earlier today. Stock trying to bounce off the initial lows, but that is going to be a nine-year low today. Let's get to Phil LeBeau live in Dallas with Bob Jordan. Hey, Phil. Hey, Carl. Bob. Good to be down here once again in the hangar where you do some work on some of your, your aircraft here. Let's start first off. You basically meet expectations in terms of your third quarter, um, both on top and bottom line. But your guidance about capacity has spooked investors. Your stock is now at a nine-year low. Why are you pulling out, or why are you slowing down your growth in capacity as much as you are? Well, I, I'd start first with, uh, we, we had a great quarter in the third quarter. We had record operating revenues. We had uh, record passengers. We had record rapid rewards revenues. We had record new rapid rewards members. We had record ancillary uh, 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 revenues. And we're forecasting record revenues and record passengers again uh, for the fourth quarter. You know, the, the whole sector is under pressure, obviously. Uh, costs are rising. Uh, a lot of that is labor costs. A lot of times it takes a while to absorb that. We, we plan to make some capacity changes here in 2024 uh, just to recognize the fact that travel patterns are different. You know, business is strong, but it's still restoring. Our leisure demand is strong, but the patterns are different than they were during pre-pandemic. So we, we will be taking capacity out of the first quarter, and we are reducing our overall capacity for 2024 to the 6 to 8% range which really is all capacity that is carried over from 2023. Did you get over your skis in terms of how much capacity you added here in 23? I'm, you know, I'm really proud of our folks. It was a huge effort and accomplishment to get all of our aircraft flying and to get our network restored basically to pre-pandemic levels. Now, uh, that's a lot of capacity and our sequential capacity. But did capacity, you go too far? Well, you never know. We planned for business uh, restoration to be a little higher than it is today. The main thing is, uh, there's strong demand for Southwest Airlines, and we're taking action as we go into 2024 to pull that capacity back prudently. Again, first quarter, back half of the year. Again, if you look at the back half of 2024, our nominal seats next year will actually be down compared to the same period in 2023. You mentioned in your release this morning seeing a return to historically normal travel patterns. Does that mean that these slower periods in the fall this is what we're going to start to see again. And that the travel patterns that we saw coming out of the pandemic, that is pretty much, it's played out. I do think leisure has returned to typical travel patterns. And business, again, while it's, uh, we're continuing to gain market share and business is growing, it is still not fully recovered to 2019. That produces a different travel demand pattern and behavior. And we need to adapt our own network to that. The shoulder periods, as an example, uh, fall off more than the stronger period. So that's really why we're taking capacity out of January and February. You mentioned something before this interview that struck me. You're noticing that people who are traveling for business are booking fewer flights. I mean, in, generally speaking, if, if as in the past, if I might have done five flights a month, I might only be doing four. Is that? Tell me what you're noticing there. I, I think that makes sense. If you think about it, there are a lot of companies that still don't have full return to work. They're working three days a week. So it, you, it makes sense to me that it, you know, if, you're, if your customer is not there, you're not going to visit. It makes sense that our business travelers, while they're flying, and they're flying a lot, they are actually flying a little bit less per person than they were uh, pre-pandemic. So we are adapting to that. 
look at our rapid rewards programs. We're making, you know, while a lot are leaning away from their customers, we are leaning to our customers. We're actually making it easier to get tier status. And a lot of that is about our business customers that we know are flying less, and we still want them to be able to obtain tier status and fly with Southwest Airlines. Bob, Jim has a question for you. Jim, go ahead. Hey, Jim. Bob, you How are catered? you? Oh, I'm good. Good. How are you doing? It's great to see you and Phil down there. Great. Uh, I, I want to uh, not challenge, but question something you said. I, you're talking about people going back to the normal travel patterns, but we had a gross domestic product number today that shows me there's still maybe in excess of their usual patterns when there's something to go to. And I know that your predecessor used to tell me, Jim, when we have something to go to in, in this country, we go. How about the routes that are true vacation routes? Are you still seeing those really robust? We are. Leisure demand is strong. You know, again, we have record revenues here in the quarter. We have record passengers here in the quarter. And we're forecasting record passengers of revenues again in the fourth quarter. Uh, again, record Rapid Awards member acquisition. Record spend on the Rapid Awards card. So demand for travel, especially in leisure, still remains very strong. Our, our demand for the holiday periods, if you look ahead right now, bookings are actually running ahead of 2022. Hey, Bob, real quick on the uh, pilot contract. Are you going to get it done this year? You know, I, I, I hate to predict. We're, we are working really hard. We're meeting every single week. There's a lot of progress. We want to get all of our contracts done. We've actually closed eight of our contracts in the last year. Uh, we just got a new tentative agreement with our flight attendants, TW 556, yesterday. I'm very proud of that. Now there's work to be done. It has to go out to our flight attendants for a vote. But I want nothing more than to reward our awesome employees. Bob Jordan, CEO, yeah. Southwest Airlines. Glad to be down here. Thank you. Hey, Jim, guess where he's going to be Friday night? World Series against Arizona. Uh, I, uh, I am yeah, not uh, sure about that. Uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, yeah, that, that was nice, Phil. I, I always thought we were friends. I didn't know. I didn't know there was tension there. I did not say I would be at the World Series. Oh, come on. You can give Jim a little, little bit of grief. I'm going down to Dallas for the Dallas Eagles game on Sunday nice. night on NBC. I'll hope yeah, to see you there. All right. Phil, as always, thanks. <laughs> thanks, uh, guys. Phil Thank you all. Along with Bob Jordan. Uh, Jim, we were talking about, uh, actually, you know, we should do a little more airlines because people have talked about death crosses on Delta. Right. right? We've talked about this uh, this low on a closing basis for Southwest. And I, I actually like Delta because it's inexpensive and because it, we don't know how many things really did stay post-COVID, but that GDP number tells me that there's an element of travel that is really kind of... Uh, never going to go back. That's about the only thing I'm finding now is never going to go back. Now that the GLP ones took away snacking at home, I think people still believe, you know what, I have to see the world before I die. And we know that that is still with us. And I think that you see it with Delta, you don't see it with your car. We don't have UPS on this board, uh, but that's going to take you back today to mid-2020 as they do lighten up the guidance a bit, Yeah, Yeah, that, that's a tough story. And I'm really hoping that Carol Tomei one day can really, you know, when you had the Teamster deal, I thought that we'd get things together the way that the Ford deal has, but not yet. I would say, by the way, watch these companies that are Ford suppliers. NXPI is the semiconductor company to the autos. Texas Instruments, which was so shelled yesterday. I think there were a lot of people who felt this strike's not over. And then suddenly you wake up, other than David, who did say 
he felt, you know, little birdie told him. No, you just felt the, sur- the strike was about to run his course. Nice. Good I, call, Dave. I, I, I did? You said it to me. I, I did. I was giving you a little credit. For what? No, he, never, you didn't, he didn't know Jack about <laughs> the strike. He was talking about about strike. He was talking about lucky strike. It means fine, or fine An NLCS World Series strike. Yes. No, I... I I know. I, I talked to Jim Farley a great deal. I know and, you did. And I felt that if this thing didn't resolve soon, uh, the Broncos that I saw come off the line, they're going to run out. Well, not. Not. All that's just to both sides. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, got some gains on the Dow. Mild ones up 15, uh, holding 41.71. Check bonds today as well. Uh, got some data coming up at 10 with pending homes. Uh, yields have backed off. 10-year 4-1 is 4-9-1, I should say. And as Jim said, seven-year note auction today, $38 billion worth. Back in a minute. You are looking at a live shot of federal court in Manhattan where FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is expected to testify at his fraud trial as early as today. We're going to continue to monitor that and bring you any highlights. Meantime, uh, NASDAQ down almost a full percent, falling below the 200-day along with the S&P now. We'll get stopped trading with Jim in a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. My colleague David Faber was our colleague was on fire all morning, so now I'm going to put something really a bee in his bonnet. Hertz reports a number that I thought was fine, but the one thing that's driving it down is Tesla. Ooh. Tesla price cuts are killing it, and they have to drop the price of their cars to spur sales. It looks like also, David, you'll probably like this. It's costing a lot to fix them when they're the repair costs. A oh, really? Up. They're yes. high for the. I thought yes. that was not. I thought they weren't. Supposed to have a high level of uh, well, that's maintenance. why maintenance. Yeah. Well, it looks like electric because the there's case. so few moving parts. So I, I pass it on to David, and maybe it's a senior. What Montoya? Montoya was my name is. Uh, you're what, you're going into Musk now? <laughs> and, no, yeah. Montoya. I'm t- going into Princess Bride. Yes, Princess yes. Bride. I'm going to go back to Princess Bride to ask about these repairs. By the way, happy birthday today to oh. Carrie Elways, who is the star of the, that film. Great oh, picture. Wow. Well, it is a great picture. One of the best. One of the best. Bob ever. Reiner. One How about best. tonight? Okay, I've heard, I have hurts, so we'll be able to talk more you got about Steve David. Sure? Coming on, I have Steve Sure, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it's, yeah, I always enjoyed it when he was at Goldman. I enjoy him now. He's a straight shooter. Did talk about Musk and repairs. That's kind of what, not what you're supposed to talk about. Now, uh, uh, Barham Chronic uh, uh, did not have a good quarter. Chronic did not. Brandon Goldman did a really fantastic yep. story about Lifetime Fitness. Uh, Planet Fitness lost its CEO. My question is, GLP one, you just in shape? No, you have to work out even harder. I got to find out what's the matter here. Do Great did show, Jim. Service now? Did you say you said, like, don't know what they Sir, do? Service now. I love service. What are you talking about? Don't know what they do. <laughs> you can't follow Bill McDermott? Come on. We'll see you at 6. Mad Money, 6 p.m. When we come back, speaking to CEOs, Morgan Stanley's uh, naming Ted Pick as its new chief, succeeding Gorman. Both of them join us next. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer.